Hello there. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shadowpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How's it going, Amon? Dad, sister. Perfect. Hello there. Hello there. You know who we are. This guy, he knows what, what to say. Absolutely. And if you didn't read the title, we are talking about the Inquisitorious today. In fact, The Church of Inquisitorious today. Absolutely. Is it a church? I mean, that's kind of how they act. No, not really. But it is. It's very the, serious. It is serious. It's the Jedi Hunter Squad Pack. Very surprised and happy to see this box as a dark side fan myself. I wouldn't say dark side fan, but more of a red lightsaber fan. That sure. wears all black could be sure. synonymous. But leads me to hope that we'll get more inquisitorious characters and units in the future because they all look cool. They all have cool stories. And I'm very excited to talk about hunting Jedi rather than fanboying Jedi. Jesse. What does that mean? It's, <laughs> it's, it means that you just you love the Jedi a bit too much. There must be balance in the Force and on the podcast. Mm, it's true. Very fair. I love the Jedi, but I don't like the clones that much. It's a, it's a very conflicting existence I live in. You don't like the clones in the game or the sh- like the medium? Ooh, good question. I mean, I like them in the game in the sense of like you're just thematically leaning in. But obviously, I would say they're probably some of the weakest supports in the game as of right now recording. That's probably going to change. We've we've already said on the show it's very I'm very conflicted because I like the droids better than the clones and the actual Clone Wars like aesthetically. That's just me. You know, I obviously fell in love with a lot of these clones by the end of the show because they're so well written, but I just like the aesthetic, the army better, like, you know, all the way down to like the vehicles and stuff too. Like I prefer the AAT tanks over the saber tanks, you know, things like that, like just all the way. But those clone lats are very cool. That's probably one of the coolest things they have, those gunships. That's really interesting you say that because I think the clones look super cool. No, I agree. They're like if the Empire looked cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the Empire had more flair and variety, and but I don't like the Empire. So maybe that's it's all tinged through the lens of the Empire, you know? So I'm not sure. Well, I'm really excited to talk about today's contents. Yeah, 100%. And I think something that's really exciting to talk about today, I'm on at least through the lens of the game, is we are reaching a precipice in the game early on that we didn't even know we could potentially get, where you can run a list that's mainly all sabers. And that is very appealing to me as a player. And just it looks cool on the table. It does. It looks amazing. And my favorite thing to do when playing with the Inquisitoria units is watching people try to overcome the red sabers and fail. As the Grand <laughs> Inquisitor once said, I do so admire your persistence. You yeah. ready to die? That's Rebels Inquisitor. Yeah, he's very confident. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm very excited to talk about our episode today. I'm on and going to be a lot of red lightsabers today. So before we get into that, we got a couple housekeeping things to discuss. Number one, we talked about it last episode, we talked about it recently. We are doing a Star Wars Shatterpoint corset giveaway. Any of you that are listening can enter to win. All you have to do is click on the link below in the podcast show notes and follow us on any of our social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at hello there cast. Of course, each follow of one of our social media pages increases your chances to win the corset. If you've already got a corset, Go ahead and follow us on these social media pages and click the link because you can give it to a local 
who does not have a course set. Additionally, patrons get bonus entries. And the more people that click on the link and follow our pages, we talked about this last time, but it's the higher potential we can do more of these in the future. Now, in addition to that, Hello There is supported by two fantastic partnerships. The first one is with Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site. You're a resource for everything Star Wars, Shatterpoint, and the general hobby. He has some amazing magnetic trays. He's got some really cool Shatterpoint accessories in the works. And of course, other game systems as well. All at a great discount. And you can make that discount even sweeter by using Hello There 5, 5 being the numeric number, which will give you an additional 5% off. In addition to that, we are also partnered and supported by Imperial Terrain, the premier STL designer for terrain to be used in your tabletop games of Star Wars Shatterpoint, Star Wars Legion, or creating your own dystopian sci-fi fantasy. They are the leaders in creating said terrain, and for all of their digital products, you can also use Hello There 5 for 5% off. Absolutely. And of course, we've said it in recent casts, but we really mean it. I mean, if you guys use these codes, it supports us and supports these creators that we really care about. So please do. Of course, Simon, we could not do the show without our patrons. Our patrons support us at, at patreon.com slash lower their cast. If you enjoy the show and would like to join our private Discord community, give our Patreon tiers a look and see which one works best for you. Any tier works well. And, you know, we can get in just the community at the Padawan level. But if you decide to go higher than the Padawan level, you get additional episodes of the podcast and additional benefits like the shout outs for people we're about to talk about right now. Absolutely. Speaking of said shout outs, we have two new patrons since the recording of our last episode. We have Tom S, who is at the Padawan Acolyte level. And then we have a mysterious individual that goes by the name of Ten, who is at our Jedi Knight and Sith Warrior tier. It is not lost on us that that tier is also $10, which is amazing. Love it. And for the purpose of this episode, Ten, we will call you Tenth Brother. So thank you. Thank you, Tenth Brother. Of course, Mom, we cannot do this show without our producers. They get a shout out every episode because they make this show happen. That's Rusty, Rich, and Brady. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. And then, of course, we have our executive producer, who is honestly going to be in a great mood, not only listening to this podcast, but relishing the resurgence of the dark side on Hello There, specifically dark side of the force, not necessarily bad guys, but force users. And this is Emperor Kevin. Emperor Kevin, fun fact, is the one who implemented the Inquisitorial program and has used it to ruthless efficiency. So thank you, Emperor Kevin, for your support and for your savagery when it comes to hunting down and terminating the Jedi. Sith Emperor Kevin, the OG Red Blade. Well, thank you so much, guys, for all your support, and you, you keep us going. I'm on, let's jump into today's main topic, which is this Inquisitor box. So let's start with the Inquisitorius, because this is pretty unique. This is a, a box that's all built around this program in the Empire. So the Inquisitorius is also known as the Inquisitorius Program, or also known as the Order of the Inquisitors. That's where I got the church thing or the Imperial Inquisition, also the church thing, is an organization of mysterious, force-sensitive, dark side users who helped the Galactic Empire basically bring order to the galaxy through their lens. They hunted down Jedi. They were operatives. They were called Inquisitors in this group. They were also nicknamed the Red Blades. Their main task was hunting down the remaining Jedi who survived Order 66 and basically making the Great Jedi Purge see all the way to fruition. But... In addition to hunting Jedi, they also hunted down other political people, 
in the galaxy that kind of disapproved of maybe the Jedi Purge or maybe some of the things that the Empire was doing. Also notably, the Inquisitors were governed by Darth Vader, obviously who also commanded to Emperor Palpatine or Darth Sidious. And the Grand Inquisitor leads this group, and he answers directly to Darth Vader. So that's kind of the background on the group itself. But let's talk about more what it means to be an Inquisitor itself. An Inquisitor is a rank within the Inquisitorious program of the Empire. We've talked about their dark side users, you know, dark Jedi that have turned fully and are in this program. I've already mentioned they hunt the Jedi, and they're led by the Grand Inquisitor, but also lesser Inquisitors that aren't the Grand Inquisitor got the name of brother or sister. They get this name after they killed their first Jedi or hunted their first Jedi and you know brought it all the way to fruition. Of course, this means that we've got a lot of Inquisitors with numbers and the name brother or sister after them, right? It's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory, but that's kind of their call signs. And also it's kind of a way, and we'll talk about this with the Grand Inquisitor coming up, Amon, but kind of a way to the Empire and the program of Inquisitorial breaks down who they were in their life before. And now they're part of this kind of dark side cult per se. But I mean, it's really just like you lose your old name and you just become ex brother or sister, right? Or the grand inquisitor. Your title now supersedes who you were before. And that's what you are now straight up to everyone, not only the people in the inquisitorious, but also in the empire and just in the galaxy at large. There's infamy around this role, but you kind of lose who you were initially. And that's kind of the point, I think, of of the organization. I completely understand what you're saying. And it's really interesting, too, because I think the formation of the Inquisitorious Project is such a fascinating concept, right? Like, Yeah, let's talk about that. There's this great comic book run. I think it starts in 2016, which is after the Disney acquisition, where it's Darth Vader, right? And it's a series of oh yeah conversations and experiences that Vader has in between three and four. And there's this, yeah. That's it. He does. And there's this really cool conversation he has with Darth Sidious, the emperor. And he says, the Inquisitorious, a project of mine, long planned. Slaves to the light side once, now awake. Hunters, one and all. And Vader responds, what do they hunt? As a matter of fact, Palpatine says, why, Jedi, of course. Which I think is so cool. It's like such a, mm. like, it's he's so clinically ruthless and brutal. It's, it's just a matter of fact, like, yeah, of course we're going to go hunt some Jedi, which I think is really interesting because you mentioned, right, like they're taking out Jedi and they're also eliminating political detractors or dissidents, if you will. Yeah, for sure. But they're also tasked with identifying and capturing Force-sensitive individuals. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. We haven't got to that yet. But yeah, they... This part's kind of nefarious to me, very nefarious, <laughs> but they're laying the groundwork for the future of the force, essentially, right? And making sure infants or young children don't become Jedi, right? They, in fact, lean the other way. They they kind of lay the seeds for Palpatine's greater narrative and plan going forward. And, and some of these lead to the First Order through the sequels canon as well, when of course the Empire goes into hiding for many years with the, the children of the Empire, right? So very dark, but nature of the beast. Nature of the Beast, speaking of dark, another interesting aspect of them is that they were actually trained by Vader and the Grand Inquisitor, right? So right. during their initial years of service, they're actually quite weak in the dark side of the Force. And the reason being is because a lot of them were either former Jedi or former Jedi Padawans, right? Who had yeah, escaped for sure. the Great Jedi Purge. And so in order to, I guess, rectify this, Vader makes them go from this Jedi defensive fighting style to an offensive one. Mm -hmm. And he was very ruthless as a teacher and a mentor. So he was not 
opposed to removing their limbs as punishment or as lessons, which I can see why he's doing that. Maybe he's kind of letting out some inner demons there. That's but, right. <laughs> yeah. When you look in the mirror, my friend. That's what, he's, that's right. that's what he's doing. And as you mentioned, servants of the Galactic Empire. But I think what's nefarious as well, you mentioned that word. I like that a lot when it comes to this organization as a whole, is that they were capped at that power level, right? They were never allowed to exceed a certain point. So they could never be considered a threat, which is very dark sidey. Also remember too, they have deep allegiance to the empire, right? The empire kind of comes first before even the Sith teachings or texts or anything like that. So it's like, yeah, they're dark side, dark Jedi type users. You can even call them Sith. Their allegiance is to the empire first and foremost, right? So it's very interesting because they're at this crossroads of a Sith warrior and like a, think of like an ISB imperial agent, you know, like a super specialized imperial agent. They're kind of at a crossroads of that. And that also brings pros and cons to them, most notably. But I mean, it's also interesting within the lore why they disappear at a certain point in the lore going forward, because frankly, a lot of them have been killed or most or all of the Jedi have been killed and their their use is no longer pertinent to the Empire. Yeah, it's really interesting because around the time of the Battle of Yavin, mm-hmm. I think Vader and Palpatine are the only Red Blades, right, left. Sure. Yeah, wasn't that wild? So, like, they really have their era between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. That roughly twenty-year gap is where the Inquisitors have their their run. Yeah, it's really fascinating, but it also kind of makes sense. Like at that point, the only Jedi left in the universe that we know of, right, are Obi Wan, Yoda, and Luke, and then two of them die over the course of two two three movies, right? So, yeah, you could say that they were no longer needed as well. They kind of served their purpose and then naturally were eliminated. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's talk about the Inquisitors themselves now that we've kind of like done this big lore deep dive on who they are, because I think that's the majority of lore today, because we're gonna find out there's not a ton of lore on all these characters, but we thought it was pertinent to dive really deep into the, the Inquisitorius as a whole. The last thing I want to talk about with the Inquisitorius is that we do have confirmed Inquisitorius members. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. We don't know how long or how lo- or how large the Inquisitorious program was, but we can imagine that it is quite larger than we didn't realize. There was a book announced recently that primary character is the 13th sister. So we'll very quickly run through all of the Inquisitors that are known and confirmed. We have the Grand Inquisitor. We have second sister who was in Jedi Survivor. We have third sister who made her debut in Kenobi, fourth sister Kenobi, fifth brother, Rebels, sixth brother, which is a comic book character, I believe. We have seventh sister, eighth brother, ninth sister, tenth brother, thirteenth sister, and three unidentified Inquisitors. One of them is a ebon-skinned Twi'lek. Another one is the really cool-looking Inquisitor My from Tales of the Jedi. Spoilers here. Yeah, and Dave has hinted at that that guy could be, even more than hinted, Dave has leaned heavily and implied that that is Sixth Brother. The, oh, is uh, it? But he never says his name, right, in the show, so. That's interesting, because Sixth Brother looks very different from his comic book. He does, but who knows, man, to get that suit later, like, if you need that suit, like, was something happened to you, you know what I mean? Like, to your body, similar to Grievous or something, where it's like, who knows? But yeah, that guy rules with the, the Plague Doctor mask. Yeah. It's sick. And then we have the Unidentified Inquisitor in the Ahsoka TV show. If you go to StarWars.com, I won't spoil anything, but they have shared their name and a little bit of a summary on who they are. 
beware at your own peril. The last thing, Jesse, I think you should probably talk about is their unique lightsabers. Yeah. So let's talk about how they have these unique double blade lightsabers with a very small hilt in the way of double blade lightsabers go, right? So rule of cool in Star Wars is always a huge factor. And I think rule of cool on these characters really works. It's not like they have a blade like Maul where Maul has, you know, the full staff. That's just what it is, right? With two kyber crystals on either side. They have this like cylinder with kind of like two sabers on each side with a, with a handle in the middle, right? The sabers stick in the sides and the circle matters because it can latch to their belt. It can latch to their back, but most importantly, it's got like a motor in it and it can spin the saber at really high speeds. So we talked about General Grievous recently. It's similar, I guess, in some ways where it's just like intimidation factor. The Grand Inquisitor uses a lot as intimidation factor, but also spinning really fast. Your opponent might not even be ready for it too. And I also, I note that their sabers are two sides rather than a staff because they frequently just use the one blade as well. And then they'll activate the second blade. If that makes sense. Yeah. And what I've noticed is when they're still fighting with the two blades, they're just using one hand most of the time. Right. Which is also different from the bow staff form, right? The mole uses, right? So yeah, it's very cool. It's a very modern take on a lightsaber, like, you know, something new every time, right? We get new lightsabers to dismay of a lot of people. Sometimes they can use them to fly, which is the weirdest thing ever. If you've watched Star Rebels, a couple of the Inquisitors can force jump and they can activate the spinning blade of their inquisitorious lightsaber and it keeps them flying in the air which once again star wars is a fantasy not a sci-fi yeah it takes the whole helicopter meme to a whole nother level right <laughs> yeah for helicopter sure. blade for sure for sure so that's something in rebels in particular that they do but yeah that's the red blades i think they're very cool i also think their costumes we haven't talked about their costumes but very unique once again empire first sith second it's very apparent in their costumes as well because they have the imperial boots, kind of suit and pants, and then they have Sith-inspired slash Empire armor, kind of meeting at a midpoint on them, on their chests, their their arms, and then of course their legs. Very menacing, you know. It also gives a look to them as well. I agree. Because at the end of the day, Amon, these guys are a symbol that the Emperor wields in the galaxy. When they show up, they just strut around. They make it very well known that they are there at the city they're at. And they're doing what they're doing, right? They're not hiding. You know what I mean? Like it's it's very much like similar to synonymous with Vader. The Palpatine uses Vader as a symbol to the suit is very imposing alone, right? The suit is very imposing, but it also not only helps identify them, gives them some sort of uniformity, but also I think at the end of the day, right? Like we know that the Grand Inquisitor was a Jedi temple guard at one point, right? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Yep. And so he went unnamed because you kind of have to give up who you are to be the temple guard. And I kind of creates this homogenization of the inquisitorious in itself, where it's like, it doesn't matter who you were previously. You're going to wear the same outfit as everyone else. You're going to have the same weapon as everyone else. And you're going to be identified by a number. Your, pa- your personality doesn't matter. Your wants and needs don't matter. No. You are simply a tool. You are do- like hunting dogs, effectively. Yeah, for that sure. Are hounds, you know, set on the hunt. And what I really think is really interesting about this whole inquisitorious concept is that a, the numbers don't make sense, which we kind of talked about that a little bit privately. But they, it reminds me of like the classic. I don't know if you like read the Legend of Drizzt series. I did not, but I'm familiar okay. with it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because it's like very similar to like Drow society, of course, where it's like everybody kind of publicly supports one another, but it's all infighting, backstabbing, and that's kind of effectively what the Inquisitorius is. It's like how can we get ahead of one another? Yeah. While not doing anything overtly and instead 
covertly, you know, kind of run the whole thing and gain more power. And that's the the allure and the the double edged saber of the dark side, if you will. For sure. And that's super apparent, which I guess we'll talk about when the Grand Inquisitor goes missing for a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's it's you've got a strong dash of empire, but then you throw in some some Sith trickery and dark sideness, and you know, you're even breaking the rules of the Empire, right? And the Empire is already pretty cutthroat within their ranks, right? And their logistics. But at the end of the day, the Empire has a lot of order and systems in place, even though there might be officers trying to get ahead of each other and stuff. You throw kind of throw some of that out the window when you bring in the dark side into the element. So yeah, very interesting, most notably. But yeah, you did mention the Grand Inquisitor, and we should talk about him because he's going to be the majority of our conversation today because he has the most lore of any of our Inquisitors in canon. So the Grand Inquisitor was also known as the Master of the Inquisitorius. Of course, he's the highest ranking Inquisitor in the Galactic Empire and the Inquisitorius. And the one that we know that Amon mentioned a second ago is the Powan male and former Jedi Temple Guard, only known as the Grand Inquisitor. Part of the allure of this character, Amon, is he didn't have a name when he was Temple Guard. He doesn't have a name after he becomes Inquisitor, so we never know what his actual name is, which is very cool. A little side note on his species, he is Powan and they are from Utapau. And you know, when when Kenobi goes to Utapau to hunt Grievous and he talks with the Powan Chancellor or whatever, it's that group of people. So keep that in mind. Very cool planet as well. But the Grand Inquisitor himself, you did mention he was a Jedi Temple Guard. And I want to talk about that real quick because I wonder, did the Grand Inquisitor himself or Palpatine or who did it, but who designed these uniforms? Because if you look at his Jedi Temple Guard uniform, it is very similar to the Grand Inquisitor armor. It's just a light side version in some ways of the Grand Inquisitor armor. So was this a Palpatine like turning that thing on its head? You know, how the Jedi Temple had guards that were force sensitive people that were kind of like armor on top of their Jedi robes, inspiration came from. It's really interesting you mentioned that because there's like two different types of clothing that you'll see. One is more yep. heavily robed. Yep. And then there's one that's more, I armor. guess, armor. And I completely agree. It's a very good call out, Jesse, that, you know, what it probably was is maybe that is his form of attachment in some way, which kind of allows him to tap into the dark side and maybe just painted it black. He was the first, <laughs> right? Yeah, just paint it black. Absolutely. And let's talk about him as Jedi Temple Guard real quick, because there's not a ton that we know in the lore, but there is some, which is very cool. So I think most notably, he's got a similar story to, to Anakin in some ways, where it's just, he was curious. He was pushing the limits of his Jedi knowledge and questions, and he was burned for it. He spent a lot of time in the Jedi archives. This is the thing we see going forward, because this is, becomes a staple of his style even as the grand inquisitor he's he's very studied he spends a lot of time in the records right and we talk about this today in our shatterpoint discussion as well it's even on his card but when he was younger and he was a temple guard he did this a lot and he would look into stuff in the jedi archives that wasn't that crazy just a little bit more faux pas he was learning more about various elements of the jedi that you know we've talked about the failings of the jedi in this era of star wars and how they kind of kept a lot of stuff on lock and they made some mistakes for it. And Jedi Master Jocasta knew, of course, the librarian of the Jedi archives. She didn't like him looking up all this stuff and she didn't like that he wanted like unfiltered access to everything, right? So instead of kind of nurturing that want for knowledge and stretching himself, she just shut it down multiple times. And this left a bad taste in his mouth. And also keep in mind, the Grand Inquisitor is present at the events we've talked about in the Barris storyline. He's a guard 
literally like keeping Barris in prison and things like that. He's at those hearings. He sees how Ahsoka was treated. There's multi-layers amount of, of what happened around him. Maybe not as direct to him like it happened to Anakin and Ahsoka where it's a little bit more direct, but still he was already kind of feeling unease and then he saw these elements and he kind of leaned into it, you know? And I think that's interesting because there's groundwork there, you know? And he was a great temple guard, but he was never allowed to ask questions or to rock the boat per se. Yeah, it's very interesting because the events of the trial, I think, fundamentally shake him. He's already frustrated with certain aspects of it. And part of being a Jedi temple guard, right, for those who are unfamiliar, is you have to kind of give up your sense of identity. Yeah. And you you inherit the role of the guard itself. So you're, you wear your predecessor's face mask, their armor. You don't even get to use your own lightsaber you built. You use a temple guard lightsaber, the double-hilted yellow blade, which is sick, by the way. It's so sick. And you have this individual who is trying to be curious, trying to understand the Force and be the best Jedi that they can be. Oh, yeah. And they see this mistreatment of Ahsoka, and I think that's what kind of breaks him, which Probably. is ironic because... The Ahsoka thing overshadows his departure, but he chooses to leave the Jedi Temple Guard after that experience because he was like, well said, yep. this is what the Jedi are doing, then I'm out. I don't want to be a guard. <laughs> and shortly after, I think Palpatine preys on his frustrations and is like, this is the perfect target. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Palpatine always knows when to prey on people, right? And their moment of weakness. And that was definitely a moment of weakness. Yeah. I think it's very cool. So that's kind of his backstory. We've also talked about how he gets approached by Sidious and Vader. So that kind of lays the groundwork for the Inquisitorius. And I think now Amon's a good time to talk about, of course, there might be some spoilers today about Kenobi, Clone Wars, and Rebels. Not so much Clone Wars, but you know, there's elements all around. And I think that's what we're mainly going to talk about today because this character now is in live action. He's been brought to the masses. He's, he's a main character in Star Wars, right? Like Rebels is one thing to bring him into Kenobi as a fully live action character, now he's very well known. He is very well known. And, you know, let's just uh, talk about the elephant in the room here in terms of the character design, right? So it changes substantially from Rebels, the animated series, to the live action. I think there was a lot of probably practical reasons as to why that was done. A, cost savings would be, you know, maybe making the character a little bit easier to design and, and act in for the actor himself. But I think AMG handled that very gracefully because they offered two different head options, which I really love. I, I love how they're very thoughtful when they're miniature designing. 100%. Which I do like that. And you mentioned that, you know, he was brought to the masses through the Kenobi show. And I really, really enjoyed the Inquisitoria storyline, honestly. I think maybe there was some, I think it could have been its own show. Mm, well said. Like the Reba and the Inquisitoria storyline. I don't know if it had to be in Kenobi per se, but I really enjoyed the dynamics between the inquisitors their power struggle how their operations were yeah i mean i, I like the the extra information that glean into who they are no i agree completely i mean that's kind of a big focus of the show right and kind of seeing how they work a little bit i wish we got more of them in the sense of i get it like the show is based around kenobi and reva most notably and most of the story focuses around that rather than as you said if it was his own show can see them hunting jedi and stuff more right or like not just kenobi or not just like reva because spoilers you know a lot of that but i don't know i i think it's well done and i like to see more of the inquisitors in live action and we've got the actors in place now right we do have the actors in place and i would love to see an inquisitorious show i think that'd be great 
That would be super cool, especially if there was like some interesting Jedi in hiding that get some limelight time that I haven't gotten some live action limelight time, right? I mean, we we find out through Kenobi the show that a big element of the Inquisitors is they find this network, the Jedi and essentially rebel dissenters before the rebel alliance, right, have set up similar to the Underground Railroad to get in and out of places from the Inquisitors, from the Empire, that Jedi Master Quinlan Voss is a huge proponent at launching that, you know? And we talked about Jedi Master Quinlan Voss in our Asajj episode and his unique story and that. So I'd love to see more of this era in particular, this 20-year gap where the Empire is hunting people and, and how the people are dealing with that and stuff. And, you know, maybe maybe we'll get more of that entirely and Inquisitors will be a centerpiece of that. But at the time, we just have Rebels and Kenobi as a whole for things like the Grand Inquisitor. And also say, Amon, while we're here, we touched on this in our Luminar episode, but the Grand Inquisitor is very studied. He's very smart. He's very brilliant, especially in Rebels, because we get more screen time of him. And keep in mind, he lures Kane and Ezra to that trap where he has Luminara's corpse, essentially, maintaining some force life in her. He mentions it's caught so many Jedi, and he doesn't even give out a number, but he's essentially saying Kane and Ezra are two more flies in the web, and he's been doing this for years as well. All the meanwhile, he's spending time in the Jedi temple studying every Jedi that he knows potentially could be hiding or has not been a confirmed kill. Because he does spend his time studying all the Jedi's fighting styles and their kind of missions and rhetoric that they kind of participate in their life, you know? And, you know, he's never encountered Kanan till Rebels, right? Because Kanan was a Padawan. But Kanan trained under Jedi Master Depa Balaba. And after fighting Kanan for a couple seconds, he's determined oh, you're the apprentice of Jedi Master Depp of Blaba because you favor Seresu to a to an embarrassing degree, is what he says. That was so cool to me. Like when he said that, I was like, oh, crap. Like this guy <laughs> knows his stuff, you know? He's very seasoned, yeah. His storyline in Rebels is very cool. It's very good, right? He kind of makes catching Kanan and Ezra his, kind of his life's work in some ways because he's like, oh, I got, I've got a Jedi that survived this long, 15 years, and then I've got a new Padawan. This is going to be my greatest achievement, you know? And that kind of becomes his focus and his obsession. Well, it's because they escaped, right? No one's ever escaped him. Never. And not only do they escape that trap, but they cross blades with him many times and his subordinates. That's right. And I think what's also very interesting about this whole Ezra situation is that it's a very interesting theme across Rebels is that a lot of these dark side users want to recruit Ezra because he's so young and malleable. Yeah. And he's also very passionate. Like he's very much like an Anakin. Like he's got, he's got some dark side flowing in him because he's, he leans into his passions a lot. Like, and he has attachments. He definitely has attachments. Yeah. Very interesting. Right. But I mean, I just shout out where shout outs do. Grand Inquisitor is played by Jason Isaacs and Rebels in particular, who's a legend. And his take on the Grand Inquisitor the first time, very cool. It's that very educated Inquisitor. You know, he's just very like, I'm going to win this battle. I'm very confident. I'm not worried about it. You know? Very full of himself, but also very competent as well. While I think the Kenobi show with the Grand Inquisitors played by Rupert, I feel like that it's more of subdued and creepier, you know, and just kind of like the essence of the Empire. It's almost like insidious in a way. For sure. And keep in mind, this is earlier in the Grand Inquisitor's career. So, of course, when he's at the Jason Isaacs point, he's a little bit more seasoned and established, right? Because that's closer to New Hope. But it is what it is. I, I think it's very cool takes on the character from two different actors. Yeah. And then just to really quickly wrap up his story, mm-hmm. right? 
he has a very cool ending in Rebels. But so I guess, Jesse, why don't you finish that off and then we can talk about the cool vision that Kanan has as well with him. Well, let's talk about the vision because if you want to, you've watched Rebels more recently than me and the vision actually is very crucial to this whole arc and the way the Grand Inquisitor goes about the final battle, right? With Kanan? Yeah, it's super interesting. So Kanan takes Ezra to the Jedi Temple in Lothal. And, you know, he says, hey, you have to go pass a test. I don't know what the test is, but you need to go pass it. I will wait for you because I'm your master. And if you never, re- like, I will I'll wait for you until you return. And then there's this really interesting scene where there's a skeleton of a Jedi master who was eternally waiting for his Padawan, who I guess never came back because they never passed the test, right? Right. So no pressure, Ezra. But simultaneously, Kanan is put on this test for himself in a way. 100%. So while Ezra's, Ezra's doing his own thing, a reoccurring theme as to why Kanan can't beat the Grand Inquisitor is he has fear and he's succumbing to his fear. And so after the death of the Grand Inquisitor, Kanan is going through this trial in the Force. And so he's fighting these named masked temple guard. And he's fighting one, then three at a time. And he gets really questioned. And then after Kanan realizes that it's his fear that's holding him back and he needs to overcome it, the lead temple guard takes their face mask off and it reveals to be the Grand Inquisitor. That's right. Which is incredible. And this is actually how Kanan becomes a Jedi Knight because the Grand Inquisitor, which, you know, it could either be a representation of who Kanan feared the most at the time. Sure. Or it could be the Grand Inquisitor's presence in the Force who finally realized maybe that he made a mistake or this is who he truly was. And for whatever reason, he is depicted there and he knights Kanan as a Jedi Knight which gives Kanan a lot of confidence to be able to do the things that he needs to do when he's fighting against Maul and some of the other Inquisitors, which is very exciting. And the Grand Inquisitor himself, who took the dark side path and went down a certain butterfly effect of things, right? Because he could have been this temple guard that went a certain way and he chose a different way. Yeah, it's very powerful. It's very wild, the nature of the Force and visions. Kanan's such an interesting character. I can't wait till we get to talk about him on the show, but he's one of the best jedi out there and a big reason why is you know he never got to experience really being a jedi or you get a lot of choice in his life right like order 66 hit early in his career as a padawan right so there's so many elements of this to unpack but very cool you set that up and of course kanan fights the grand inquisitor it does best him in combat and the grand inquisitor this is where it gets a little extra crazy amon because they actually expand on this more in comics but when he's beaten he just chooses death He's literally like, if I die in this duel, I know it's better than failing, not catching Kanan because what Vader's going to do to me. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a cool moment. He's it at reminds peace me of, when he dies. He's at peace. But he also says to Kanan, like, there are things worse than death. Oh, for sure. And then he just releases off the, the bridge that he's hanging on the gantry and just falls into that reactor explosion. And it's, I, I was so like, I was like, wait, why did he do that? You know, <laughs> like you could have definitely pulled the Nobi one, you know, done a backflip or something and grabbed your saber and kept fighting him. But it was cool. He was bested, you know. And what's interesting is it starts the chain reaction with fifth brother and seventh sister now being like, okay, we have to capture Kanan and Ezra because now if we do, we become the Grand Inquisitor. So it's that kind of infighting you're talking about. Yeah. And what's really interesting is the fight is very evocative of Duel of Fates because it's oh, yeah. a... It's it's a Padawan and a knight or his master, right? Fighting a dual blade red lightsaber who like warrior who's better than both of them. Oh, for individually, sure. Individually, but sure. against the two of them combined, maybe might, you know, struggle. So it's really cool to see a positive ending there with no one getting stabbed in the, the gut. But speaking of stabbed in the gut, 
I will say the Kenobi show spoilers here. A lot of stabbing in the gut. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't know why Qui-Gon just get insta dies in the gut, but everyone else doesn't in the Kenobi show. But the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities. Some would deem some unnatural. Some unnatural. No, truthfully. I mean, it's we've seen Kylo do it in Force Awakens when he literally got shot by the bowcaster that just shreds anybody's body. It It is a level of Star Wars of fantasy. It's not a sci-fi. And also drawing on the dark side to keep you sustaining and going. I mean, Maul survived being severed in half because of the dark side is a powerful thing, Amon. You can you can draw on it to survive for a time, you know, until you get to that back to tank. Yeah, that is incredible. So Reva decides to like launch a coup. Again, spoilers, stabs him in the stomach. He disappears, right? He's presumed dead. Yeah. Which we knew he wasn't dead because we know Rebels came out before, but maybe for those who were the uninitiated. And so then there's this weird power struggle, right? Where like Fifth Brother and Reva are like both vying for Grand Inquisitor. They're like, I'm going to get Kenobi. I'm going to get Kenobi. Oh, for sure. Vader is like, shut up. You're both idiots. Like chokes them both. It's great. And then turns out Grand Inquisitor never got stabbed and faked it or just healed super quick. And then he shows them the best time too. Yeah. Reva's on the ground. And he just goes, hello, I'm back. The ability of the will to live being fueled by revenge or something like that is, you know, amazing. He waited for his moment. But Amon, I've got to tell you one more thing about the Grand Inquisitor that you might not know, which is absolutely insane. Thank you, Star Wars canon Marvel comics. So the Grand Inquisitor loses to Kane in the duel, falls into the fire because he's like, coming back empty-handed is worse with Vader, right? Than dying. Vader still gets to punish the Inquisitor after his death, the Grand Inquisitor after his death. So what's wild is Vader digs in some, some deep Sith magic, learns a way to pull the Grand Inquisitor's spirit from the netherworld of the Force to a temple in the Outer Rim. Wild, right? And he keeps him in torment there, half alive, as in the sense of like, he's stuck in limbo, right? Between death and life. He's on fire, because the last time he was alive, he was in fire, dying in fire. And he's living in torment there, and he's, he's literally forced to guard that Jedi temple forever. So no Jedi come and, you know, get artifacts or get holocrons or knowledge, right? And what's wild in the new canon, after Empire Strikes Back, when Luke is trying to find a new saber, finds a Jedi temple because he's on the hunt for Jedi temples and goes to this Jedi temple and encounters this specter, the spirit of the Grand Inquisitor on fire and fights him. With a yellow saber. That's right. Nuts, right? Sick. So the man did his job for the Empire. He served the Empire and he still was made to suffer. Also, he did muse again about how thing of these things worse than death, which is, it's wild. Luke obviously beats the Grand Inquisitor. I don't know. It's crazy because he's still forced to stay there forever, you know, because it's kind of like, I assume in the Star Wars mythos and lore, it's kind of like Luke beating Vader in the cave of Dagobah, right? There's an element of like, yes, the Grand Inquisitor is still there. He's trapped. He's really there. But Luke's, Luke's kind of fighting a ghost. There's an element of that. But yeah, just wild stuff, right? And how perfect is it but also dark that he's trapped in the same loop that partially luminara was that he did to her that's what you call poetic justice my friend that's or karma that's definitely some karma that's the grand inquisitor it takes a wild turn let's talk about him in star wars shatterpoint because he's gonna lay the basis of our conversation today and amon he's gonna lay the basis of maybe this all red sabers list and how you do it turns out we have more it's our it's our first instance of it today we haven't even mentioned it in the episode yet i'm really proud of us but it's our first instance of having more models in a box than normal. That's right. So the Jedi Hunter's box comes with a primary unit, a secondary unit, and two different 
supporting units. And this is also the first instance in the game where we have a supporting unit that is strictly one character Love it. rather than two characters, which technically it's the same model count, but there's more flexibility here with list building for sure, which is very exciting. So let's start with Grand Inquisitor Fallen Jedi primary unit, eight squad points. Now he is a multi-era unit, so he fits in three different eras. He starts from the Clone Wars all the way to the Age of Rebellion. He comes with three force, a durability of three, and a stamina of nine. Very quickly, Jesse, he has force user, galactic empire, and inquisitorious. What do we think about his base stats? Pretty basic stuff. I mean, he's on the lower health side, which I understand because, I mean, Ahsoka's got this health pool, right? So, I mean, we're right in that realm. I would not expect him to have the health pool of Anakin or Grievous or Vader, for instance, you know, just so that lines up. Also, his tags make a lot of sense. I, I'm also really excited to see this being the first Empire release in the game ever, this Invader, of course, and what that means for building Empire here on out and unique for us on the show because we're also covering Empire for the first time. Absolutely. It is interesting. I would have liked to see him at 10 stamina, I think, Fair. but the more and more I think about it, you know, he couldn't beat Kanan. Not to say that Kanan's like not strong, but the Kanan's power level at that time was not high sure. when you compare it to like peak Clone War Jedi, right? So makes sense. Now, I do find the Inquisitorious stuff very interesting. Obviously, it's a very melee focused strategy, which we'll talk about, mm -hmm. which is why, again, I wish he had 10, but nine is fine. So let's talk about his tactics mm. ability. You know who we are. At the start of this unit's activation, choose an allied Inquisitorious secondary character mm. or an allied Inquisitorious supporting character. One character in this unit and the chosen character may dash. It's similar to Dooku's, but better because it's global. It's the whole map, right? So you could be moving an Inquisitor all the way on the other side of the map and, and, and then he gets his dash as well. I absolutely love it. I think this is... Awesome. And it's going to be framing a lot of our themes today. We're going to be talking about this episode I'm on where it's kind of like, oh, you're playing the Grand Inquisitor. You should be bringing a lot of Inquisitors in your list. Yeah. And it also will highlight the fact that the Inquisitorious strategy as a whole is very mobile. Well said. You know? Yeah. And also it's him shatter pointing is always good because this, this ability, right? I mean, just getting your pieces where they need to be at, at any given time is, is nice. But Starting with his only active superpower I'm on, it's Secrets Uncovered. It costs two force. Choose an active objective within range five of the Grand Inquisitor that is controlled by an opposing player. Remove the opposing player's control token from the chosen objective. So let's talk about how this works, Amon, because I've seen a lot of people have questions about this in the game. Yeah, this is super interesting. So keep in mind that if you are to remove a control token from a chosen objective and the enemy characters or units are still on that point they'll just regain control on their turn right so it's not just necessarily like oh i'm going to steal your point it's more of maybe an opponent has captured a point and it's in a safe place in terms of the board setup yep. and they've moved on from the point and they're just banking on that point being in their control we do it all the time we do it all the time throughout the struggle then that's a great opportunity where you can steal it then they're going to have to go back and retake it, right? Because they've lost the objective. What's also really interesting is you can do this on his turn. Often what will happen is you will try to get onto a point that's being contested by an enemy character. You're not able to move them off. They will retain control. This is a little bit of an insurance policy where you're not going to steal the point, but you can take it off their controlling point, make it neutral, and then go there 
and then force a tie so that no one claims it. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what's going to come up the most, right? In theory, especially when you get it off your tree, right? Because presumably you're already in combat with them and so you didn't push them off, but you still flipped it. Yeah, not bad at all. And then neutrally scoring it out and also gets more interesting because then later you can maybe bring in one of your other inquisitors and bring in that inquisitorial mandate, you know, and then flip it easily or something. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, but I like the idea that they are a melee based objective, active objective based strategy, if you will. So let's go to their reactive ability. The temple records are quite complete. One force, when a character in this unit is targeted with a melee attack by an enemy force user character, this unit may use this ability. You can flip his stance card and the defender adds two dice to the defense roll. So very quickly, there are two stances because he is a primary character. Form to Makashi, he has five melee defense. And form Jemso, he has six melee defense. So this is useful in either form because it'll still bump the total to higher than six either way. So you still get that bump in sheer number or volume of dice. Yep. What I really like is flipping to form five gem. So, which we'll talk about later because the defensive expertise on that chart is pretty nice. It's pretty awesome. Right. Also keep in mind, as Amon said, it's may flip. So you don't have to flip your stance. You just can buff it up with additional defense dice and stay in the stance you're in, which is nice to know. And this is the first instance we've ever seen in Shatterpoint to flip your card outside of your turn, which is just crazy. Like it's, it's, it's unique. It's different. It's cool. I really like it. And that's a great distinction, Jesse. You don't have to do the flip. You can just add the plus two for the force, which I really like. And lastly, we have clearly you were a poor student. When an allied Inquisitorious character wounds an enemy unit, after the effect is resolved, one allied Inquisitorious character may recover twice. Then if the wounded unit was a force user, refresh to force. It's Grievous's identity, but for Inquisitors rather than just himself. Yeah, that's actually a great way to summarize it. So if you listen to a Grievous episode, the whole idea is that he's kind of like a nuke. He goes out there and he just kind of murders something. The Inquisitorious characters and units kind of do the same thing. They want to throw as much dice as they can into the opposing characters via melee attacks. And obviously because their specialty is hunting force users. You know, they can refresh that two force, which makes mirror matches very interesting with Inquisitorious characters because there's a ton of force to be had. Oh, absolutely. We've also seen what they do with the Jedi's bodies, you know, and the in the way of Rebels and now Kenobi. I mean, look at that whole lower level of the castle, all the deceased Jedi that had preserved there. So it makes sense if you killed a Jedi, we're getting resources, resources for the team as a whole. Yeah. So. Overall, I really like his kit. I think we'll do a quick summary after we talk about his stances here. Yeah, for sure. So we'll start with Form 2 Mikashi. So the Grand Inquisitor is a very learned practicer of the Jedi arts and the Sith arts. And we see dark side users tend to lean Mikashi. Duelist nature. Yeah. Exactly. Especially because they're going to be dueling their prey. He's got a very interesting tree in terms of its shape. But before we do that, let's get into his attack and defense dice. 5-7 5-7 on ranged and melee, respectively, with a range 4 on that 5-dice attack. 5 and 5 on defense. We do see the Grand Inquisitor throw his lightsaber quite a bit in Rebels, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that they replicated that here. Now, his defensive expertise is called Adaptive Fighter. 1-3 to three expertise, 2 blocks. That's Mando good. Wow. 4+, plus 2 blocks, and then you turn an opposing crit into a strike. Pretty solid defensive expertise. Yeah, man. Super solid. He's he's defensive. 
he's even more defensive on his other form. Right. But let's finish this one out real quick. Throwing lightsaber on his ranged expertise. Again, he's got solid expertise, man. One expertise, two hits. Nice. It's awesome. Two to four, a crit and a hit. Five plus, a crit hit and a damage. So scales, not as well as you'd like. But I mean, hey, it's a good, it's a high floor. Yeah, it's only five dice, but it's also like, I feel like you're throwing your lightsaber when you're, you have nothing to do and and you still want to score, right? Where you're at and there's something like that. So it's just, it's just a tool in your toolbox, right? Yeah, well said. Now, this is probably the best part. This is spinning lightsaber for his melee expertise. One expertise, a crit and a damage. Oh. Love it. Yeah. Two to three, two crits and a damage. Four plus, two crits, two damage. That's some business. He means business. Dude, he really does, man. And I think like that sweet spot is getting that two expertise because yeah. you're getting guaranteed two hits go through, you know, of course, not taking into account opposing defensive expertise sure. and that damage, which is pretty solid because as you're going to see, this tree can get pretty gnarly. Okay. So the first tile is two damage. Very good. Then we have a pin and a damage. And then from here, it's pretty much a damage and you pick between a strain and an expose. Okay. Which is pretty solid. The fourth tile is three damage. Is really ramping up the pressure here. So at this point, you will have done seven damage, which is solid for the weaker offensive form of the two. And then you get to the fifth tile, which is a dash and a damage. Now from here, it's really interesting. It goes up or down. So then from there, you can either do two damage or you can jump and deal a damage. So if you actually want to maximize the amount of damage on this form, you're doing, I think he's doing 10 damage. Yeah, he's doing a lot. This is actually the side that he does the most damage on. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think I just prefer his other side. But yeah, you're right in that he just does a lot of damage on this side. Yeah, his other side's more rounded, but we'll talk about that in a second. But the combination of the crits with the auto damage in your expertise, and then you do this much damage on your tree, this is his damage side. That's where he wants to take someone down. Yeah, very well said. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, this is the stance that once you're in combat, you flip to Makashi, you start slapping people silly. The Jedi temples are quite complete. You can flip to his more defensive, well-rounded side well when you need to, if you want to. Yep. Going over to his next stance, which is Form 5 Gemso. The ranged expertise is a little different. He can still throw his lightsaber here. So range for four dice instead of five on the range. And then his lightsaber is six dice instead of seven, but his defenses pop up to six and six. Throw lightsaber expertise, one expertise one strike two to three two strikes four plus a crit and two strikes so notably worse not as potent notably worse but i think has a lower ceiling yeah because the two to three instead of the two to two to four yeah and the four plus instead of the five plus yeah it's interesting right but you're only rolling four dice on this side on the range attack it's it's an option it's not a feature i agree it's an option not a feature spinning lightsaber on the melee expertise one expertise two hits two to three a crit and a hit four plus two crits and a damage so notably weaker as well because we see less crits on this side and less auto damage but it's, and less auto damage but it's still potent absolutely yeah it, it's fairly consistent and then we have the defensive expertise which i think is the highlight of this side this stance oh yeah one to two a block turning a crit to a strike three turning a crit to a strike and a crit to a fail and a block and then four plus a block turning two crits to fails and a jump yeah, that, that's some like Kenobi Mace Windu type stuff right there. I mean, he was a Jedi Temple guard. Man. He was. Yeah. it's He knows how to defend. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Also, our third character with the gym, so Anakin, Vader, and now Red Inquisitor. 
Yeah. I feel like Jem So is, I guess, people's aggressive side in the Jedi Order, but you kind of mentioned this on the Vader episode. <laughs> it's their defensive it's, stance. The dark side users, it's defensive for them. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That's cool. It is wild. Cool theme. It is a cool theme. Let's get into his character tree here. So we're going to start with a shove and a damage. So Love it. This is the more controlly side. Makashi is the more damage-oriented side. So we start with a shove and a damage, and then from here you have two choices. You can either disarm and do a damage or reposition and deal a damage. Nice. Now the third tile is a shove and two damage, and so we talked about this on the Luminara episode, but the reposition really helps yes. because at a certain point, maybe the shove is not favorable to you so maybe you can reposition and then shove them in additional direction which maybe can get them off the gantry off the elevation etc etc absolutely now from there you have two choices you can either go up or you can go down but they culminate in the same mid spot so if you go up it's a pin and a damage and then two damage if you go down it's two damage and then a shove and a damage so either way you're dealing three damage and they're it's just you want the shove or the pin yeah and in what order do you want them like I can easily see when you only get four spots through this tree, that bottom section is just not very appealing, like the two damage. So you'll go the pinned route, right? But if you got five through the tree, you're like, oh yeah, let's 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 put let's shove and do three damage, right? So exactly. And then both of those branches culminate in the active ability symbol, which means he can do secrets uncovered for free. Yeah, I think this is the prime time Amon you would be doing the thing you said. Where it's like, okay, the Grand Inquisitor can't get there, but there's another objective five away that he can maybe turn off that your opponent has just been scoring on all game, but they have no one left there, right? And now your opponent's not scoring that. That's a good time to do it, I feel like. Yeah, or maybe you just, even if you got through the whole tree, maybe you didn't take them out. Yeah, just flip it. So neutral. Yeah, force the neutral. It's still a net gain for you. For sure. Right, which I like. It slows their momentum down for lack of a better term yeah i just love that it's range five so he can like potentially overshoot to another objective further away than the one he's fighting on depending on where he's angled at yeah and the reposition helps with that yeah very well said so overall grand inquisitor i think going over his identity as a whole it is limited right it shoehorns you into specifically playing inquisitorious characters and i do believe at some point in this game force users could not exists in certain lists. Mm, well said. Yeah. You know, we have Cad Bane coming out. We have Amidala coming out. Ewoks. Ewoks. Yeah, they're not force users, Like, if he right? just runs through a list that's all Ewoks, what does he do? Exactly. And that's where I think he struggles. Because okay. if you're in an event and you know your opponent hasn't played the Inquisitors, or they might, then maybe you can play a force that denies their refresh mechanic. A force that's void of force users. Exactly. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, good call. No, I think it's a really powerful identity, obviously, because if you wound enemy units, like if you wound an Ewok, you're going to recover, right? That's great. But then you just don't get the force user synergy of, oh, was it a force user? Then refresh your force. So it is all or nothing, but it also kind of like shreds force user lists. Yeah. Now that's the other side of the coin, right? Like Republic lists are very popular, A, for the aesthetic, B, there's more options there, right? For people to play lists and stuff. So in those types of metas or events... It's fine. But you also have to remember that you're the Jedi characters you're fighting can also hit you just as hard. 100%. So it's still not like a, a super exciting strategy because if you're fighting against Jedi, you're hoping that your dice outroll their dice. And if you're not fighting against other Force users, then you're missing out on half your identity. Yeah. 
There's a lot of layers. I like it though. I like it a lot. I think that identity, I think the identity is super cool. It's just a matter of what's the meta look like, I guess. Exactly. Now, my only counterpoint to that is that the Inquisitorious units, and we're going to see that with Third Sister and the other two supporting units, is that they're very mobile and they have some shenanigans. Right. And also keep in mind too, we just covered Vader on the show. Vader Jedi Hunter is Inquisitorious as well, and his his identity is bread and butter with this identity. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention later, yeah, of course, because I think that really helps unlock it. But you know, I, I appreciate you mentioning that now. Yeah, we'll dig into it. I think that is something deeper. to keep in mind. But yeah, it's something that kind of balances out this a little bit in a big way. Yeah, I think almost the two were designed in tandem, and they were designed to function off one mm. another. But I guess we'll go on to third sister, third sister Riva. Vander. So Reva was a human female force sensitive who, of course, was a Padawan at the Jedi Temple in her younger age. But most notably, she has been a member of the Inquisitorious and she gets the title of third sister during the era of the Galactic Empire. Very cool that she was part of the Jedi Order, but she actually survived Order 66 and Anakin and his 501st clones because she pretended to be dead, which is very dark, and all the bodies of both her other Padawan learners around her. And she became a survivor and was driven by this revenge against Anakin Skywalker in particular, which led her to the Inquisitorious, ironically. I think Reva's story is pretty apparent in Kenobi, and that's the only place we have it. We don't know much about her past or anything like that. We do know her motiv- motivations. Also, we kind of like, through the course of the Kenobi show, she's so obsessed with Kenobi and I guess the twist is, is that they think she's so obsessed with Kenobi so she can ascend to the rank of potentially Grand Inquisitor one day, right? Because if they were to get a Jedi of that power level killed or brought to the Inquisitorious, of course, you get some high stature. But really, at the end of the day, Reva's doing all this because she wants to draw Vader out, per se, you know, because she actually knows his identity, which is also wild because very few people know Vader's identity, period. Yeah, I was very surprised by that in the show, if I'm going to be completely honest, yeah. when she said, Obi-Wan, you know, like it's Anakin and it's like, obviously Ewan does a great job of showing the yeah. the utmost horror and at that revelation. But going back to third sister, Reva, I think she's a tortured character. I think yeah. I see the angle that they were going for for her. Again, I do think that it could have been an incredible story in its own show, yes. but you know, at the end of the day, the decisions were made to put her in Kenobi. And I do think her, honestly, man, if I'm being completely honest, I think her story is a bit predictable. Yeah, for sure. You have this really angry youth. It's like typical story, you know, angry, want to, you know, take revenge. Unfortunately, and canonically, the coup fails, right? It does. Because there doesn't survive vader just stabs her in the stomach vader fights her without a saber that was honestly one of the coolest fights so cool yeah and she's got her inquisitorious saber and he even slows down the motors where it's spinning super fast and it goes down to barely spinning at all like i mean there's so many elements of that fight fight. she gets stabbed in the stomach she's upset what i find really interesting about reva is that she's actually very smart like how did she figure out the whole luke leia obi-wan bail organa connection but no one else in the empire did right? right That's what I thought was a bit interesting, because if she could figure out, I imagine there are people just as smart as her, if not smarter out she there. She figured out the connection could- Obi-Wan had to bail, which was unique in itself, and then she kind of pried deeper and started figuring out, oh, Obi-Wan's not hiding. He's He has a purpose, you know? Yeah. Like, But maybe that's the, the nature of she was a Jedi, and she's not really actually Empire. The Empire is a tool to her to get to her wants, right? All these other guys are pure Empire, and they're just very full of themselves and they're very like we know everything yeah and so 
maybe the self-absorbed nature is what's never getting them to the crux of Obi-Wan's not hiding. Obi-Wan's protecting something, right? Yeah. And then I think her story ultimately culminates with, you know, her realizing that maybe she should not be an Inquisitor anymore. And she kind of does her own thing. Well, yeah. And she's like, if I kill Luke and if he's tied to Vader and, and Kenobi in a huge way, that's my revenge. I'll have peace. And then Obi-Wan's like, You'll never have peace, especially if you do the literal thing that caused trauma to you from Anakin to his child. It was a very healing moment for her. You know, she she inadvertently became the thing that she hated and was trying to kill. And it takes her a while to realize it. She has to go through a lot of stuff to get there, but she finally realizes it. And I guess Obi-Wan being the stand-up guy he is, lets her live, though she has this information. Yeah, it's really interesting that he let her live knowing that she knew exactly where he was, who he was protecting, all this stuff. But, you know, that's the power of Obi-Wan to trust and to heal. But also with Reva, I think like, you know, I'm really curious for her journey in Star Wars. Yeah. Like, what does she do after this? Like, do they put her character like to bed? Like she walked off in the sunset. Is I it over? Like it, or maybe. Yeah, I think it would be cool to kind of give her sort of a redemption arc, if you will, where she's like now part of the rebellion. Yeah. Or if she continues to pursue her revenge on Darth Vader, culminating in some really cool epic battle, you know? Who knows? My gathering from Kenobi show is that she, this whole Jedi inquisitorious life, these two lives she's lived, she's, she's done with that, you know, and she's on to something else. So yeah, maybe the rebellion, that seems like a cool place for her for sure. <laughs> but like you said, maybe it's more of a sunset thing, you know, and that she just has peace finally in her life because she's not had peace for a long time. Yeah. And maybe that's what she needs. hundred percent. But we got to talk about her in Star Wars Shatterpoint now. I'm on third sister starting off her card. Of course, she's four point cost and we got to talk about her tags they're gonna yeah. look familiar they're gonna look quite familiar force user galactic empire and you guessed it inquisitory get used to them you're gonna see more of them that's right very standard health profile with eight stamina and two durability for a secondary yeah very very standard for for a secondary and let's just jump right into her abilities because you mentioned there's a lot of shenanigans within this team and since third sister is the only secondary you will be taking her often all the time you're playing this list in theory. So she has a active ability called Call the Hunt, costs one force. Choose an allied inquisitory supporting character within range four of Reva. The chosen character may dash or make a five dice melee attack. So I actually really like this yeah. ability, Call the Hunt. Range four is quite large. Yeah. We've made it no secret that the inquisitory strategy is to get into melee combat. Right. So this ability either helps you get there or get onto a point which they have some cool shenanigans we'll talk about with the supporting characters that help them win those points or make more melee attacks, which is what you want to do for the identity on the Grand Inquisitor. I am personally a very big fan of this ability, and I think it, it makes even Shatterpointing with Reva a really cool concept because you can get maybe multiple attacks off during her mm, activation. Well said, yeah. Anyways, Call the Hunt, great yeah. ability. I like the fact that it just really reinforces what you want to do as an Inquisitorius. 100%. And keeping with these good abilities, Amon, she has one more active ability. It's going to look familiar. It's force jump, costs one force. Each character in this unit may jump. Of course, always worth mentioning, jump ignores engagement. And elevation, absolutely. Love this ability. Great ability. Probably one of the best abilities a character can have. Yeah, and it's it's super cool that all the Inquisitors have this post-Grand Inquisitor. He doesn't have it, but Reva and the two others. Yeah, and it's, it's great because, again, it helps that mobility, right? For sure. Which is awesome. Now, this might be some of her Jedi training coming back into effect yep. here, but Reva has a reactability called Deflect. So very similarly to how Deflect works on other characters, if a range attack is targeting Reva and at any point the role contains one or more failure results, she auto 
hits them for two damage. And this is not an ability we generally see on dark side no. users, right? They generally have repost. Yep. So deflect is pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. And we've talked about it in our early episodes, it really, that, that damage starts adding up, you know, it's free damage. So make sure you don't miss your fail triggers. But closing out her ability as a mod, she has a reactive ability called Your Fear Betrays You. Costs her one when a character in this unit makes a melee attack as part of a combat action before the dice are rolled, it may use this ability. Remove one or more conditions from the defender, the target. Add two dice to the attack roll for each condition that was removed. I'll get the obvious out of the way. Don't ever remove expose. It's way nope. better than two dice. But every any other condition, man, you can really make Reva's dice come online. I agree. Now, this is a very interesting ability because it actually doesn't come up that often. No, but I, I've seen people use it. Shout out to Emperor Kevin. I mean, I've seen Emperor Kevin buff up her attack with Vader to take her to 10, right? And then remove two conditions, take her up to 14. That is very nice. And I can see the general appeal of that. You're going to get the tree. You are going to get the tree, but it's also hard, I think, to dish out conditions because I think the way that the Inquisitorious strategy also likes to function is that they can all kind of solo. Yes. So they're never really ganging up. I mean, sure, if you take them with Vader, you have the opportunity to take like Rex and the ARF troopers or the 501st, right? Or pawns and whatever. And they can start yes. dishing out conditions and that can really help. Of course, let's not forget Enfeeble with pinned and exposed, right? Sure. From the other yeah. Inquisitors. Yeah. But you're not taking off that exposed from no, Fifth Brother. you're not. I will say, you know, Reva does, she only has a condition on our tree, but Looking at the Grand Inquisitor, he's got a decent amount of conditions on his tree. So maybe it's coming from him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Coming from somewhere. Yeah. I do think this is probably her least usability, but kind of like a lot of abilities we've talked about on this podcast in general, they're, situa they're situationally excellent. Yeah, it's nice to have them, right? And that's really all you want from this. So I'm a big fan. Big fan indeed. Now let's jump into her stance card here. Form 2 Makashi. They really love that they dueling. Do. No range attack, seven dice on melee, five range defense, less defense on melee for her, which is four. That's so thematic of Reva, though, right? She's all gas, no breaks. Yeah, and she also got spanked by Vader, so it makes sense. She also couldn't beat Owen. Oh, Owen and Beru? Yeah, two farmers. To her credit, she was barely hanging on, drawn to the dark side to keep her body going from that stat from the Great Inquisitor. Fair enough. Now, she's got some pretty decent expertise, though, here. Okay. Defensively, I think she's stronger with a vicious defense, one to three expertise, two block, like that. four plus, two block, and turning a crit to a regular strike. It's really not bad. No. Again, low floor, ceiling is pretty low as well, but yep. I think rolling one expertise, giving you two blocks is amazing in this game. That's like Mando levels of awesome. It's so awesome. Yeah. Consistent. Exactly. Spinning lightsaber is the melee expertise here. One to two is a strike and a damage. Three to four is a crit, a strike, and a damage. And then five plus is a crit, two strikes, and a damage. Yeah, she starts churning it out a lot. It, it's looking somewhere to the Grand Inquisitor's stuff, you know? At the higher yep. levels. What I like about Reva's tree is I like that she has good defensive expertise. Because okay. her defense is kind of fine, that. like the raw dice. Well, it makes up for that yeah. four. Four is tough. Because you should be averaging three blocks with that expertise. Probably, yeah. Not bad. Yeah, and I love that her spinning lights or expertise is just the Grand Inquisitor stuff, just downgraded. Like, the crits are downgraded to hits, but, like, she has similar damage pools as him. Similar. 
It, it just proves that yeah. these spinning lightsabers do a lot of raw damage, which makes sense because they're right in your face with two double blades. It's, it's very evocative of Grievous, which we did recently, right? Yeah, and they also, like you said, they're all gas. All gas, especially Reva, because she's, I don't know, I feel like sh- her goal is to do damage and then to get off that call to hunt. Yeah, I, I feel like the two coming up are a little bit more versatile. Right, well... Let's finish off her stance here with her damage tree. So Reva starts at a shove and a damage. And then from there, she can go up or down. If she goes down, it's two damage and a shove and a damage. If she goes up, it's exposed and a damage and a shove and a damage. So either way, you're getting, if you go three tiles in, two shoves. It's just your choice of do you want to add two additional damage into the two damage you're already doing or an exposed and a damage. Get to that fourth tile. You get that third shove in the tree, which is nice with two damage. And then she ends with a jump and a damage. So overall, if you take the bottom path, you can do seven damage with Reva, or you can do six with an expose. You're getting three shoves either way. She's doing that full offensive Mikashi where she's just advancing on them, right? And just pushing them way back for sure. Yeah, I like that she's kind of more of your zoning yeah, piece. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of summarizes actually Reva as a whole, yeah. right? Like Reva is a very mobile character. She allows your Inquisitorious team to be mobile as yep. well or make more attacks. The jump is really nice, man. And I think if you really want to get someone off a point, starting the tree off with a shove is awesome. Exposing is even better because then if you decide to do gang ups or for future attacks, like it hurts. 100%. I mean, I guess there's something interesting too about maybe if you called the hunt, attacked with a different Inquisitor, gave some conditions, and then you could do the fear betrays you. You know, There is some elements of that entirely, but yeah, I think zoning piece is a good way to call her, and I think you're going to need her if you're playing Inquisitor list because she is the secondary. So, Yeah, I like the combo you suggested, call the hunt into your fear betrays you. That's it's nice. fun, right? And it's also that focus fire, right? Because maybe just Reva and a supporting Inquisitor just double teamed a primary force user, and it worked. You actually gave them a wound, right? So. I, I like the combo in, in a big way, but we got to move on. I'm on to fourth sister and lore and fourth sister does not have much lore at all. She is in Kenobi. She has the smallest part in the show. She doesn't even, we're going to see a theme with some of the inquisitors I'm on. And maybe this is part of their nature of, they kind of disappear into who they are, but we don't even know what species fourth sister is. Same with fifth brother. We know where, what planet fifth brother comes from, but we don't know what species is. We don't even know what planet fourth sister comes from. Because once again, you kind of lose who you are and it's all about the Inquisitorious, right? So if they don't mention it in the shows and stuff, how are we as you know people who watch Star Wars able to know what they are in the lore, you know? So very interesting. Right. We just happen to know Grand Inquisitor is because he was a Jedi before and it's pretty obvious he's a Powan. So fourth sister is often present with fifth brother during missions. You know, she answers to Vader just like the Grand Inquisitor does. Out of the group in this box, she is the most nimble. We do know that. And according to the Shatterpoint rules, she's the best against range attack. Maybe that nimble aspect coming out to play as well. But we really don't know much about her. And, you know, by the nature of these supports, Amon, in our normal show, we kind of give a brief summary of the supports and we jump right in their card because the sports are typically more nameless anyways. So it's interesting that Fourth Sister just has a lesser part in Ken at this moment, but I bet that will change. Yeah, it is really interesting because they introduced her into the show, and I really thought Seventh Sister would have been a great choice. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, she is some sort of yellow alien, but she looks really cool. Yeah, and she's got some kind of Leku as well, right? 
like head tails, similar to some of the other species in the galaxy. So time will tell if we learn more about her, but she's still around because we don't know what her fate is. So we'll see what she ends up looking like. I love talking about her in Shatterpoint because I think Mon, there's been some discussions going around the community and stuff that kind of undervaluing her a little bit. You know, it's interesting you say that because it's not necessarily an undervaluing per se. It's more so when compared to Fifth Brother. I feel like people it's ignore hard. her. They do ignore her. And I think that's wrong. And I have put her on the table just to give her a fair shot and obviously prepare for this episode. I think she's awesome. I think she's an amazing supporting unit. Yeah. Let's just talk about her. I mean, I feel like you gave the pitch good in this episode of Mon early on, but something we're going to talk about keeps coming up. All these characters cost four. That's the interesting part about it. And that's what makes it difficult, right? To kind of run the dream team of both fourth sister and fifth brother with Vader and Grand Inquisitor and Reva. When they first release. Now, knowing that Commander Pons is a three-threat secondary unit, you have the ability to do that. And we'll talk about that after we get through fourth and fifth quizzers here. But So, fourth sister, eight stamina, two durability, force user, galactic empire, inquisitorious. As, as you mentioned, Jesse, she costs four points. Now, keep in mind, we just went over Reva. Reva is a secondary yeah. unit. It was eight and common two. for a secondary unit, right? So, And so we have a supporting unit that's eight and two. That's pretty solid. The drawback here, because it's the first foray for us on the show, is that these are single model units, so you have less bodies on the table to win the points, but get the obvious out of the way and just you know hide no leads here. Fourth Sister and Fifth Brother, they are support units, but in a way, they're kind of like a second secondary in your list. And foregoing yeah. a body, you're getting a second secondary. Yeah, and, and also keep in mind, yes, you are one character less, but you also are one target 100%. less. So might be easier to protect them or keep them out of range versus sometimes with two characters, they can kind of bully one of them that they can get out of yep. position. So with her active abilities here, the first one, she's got two of them. The first one is Force Jump. We know what that is, Cost of Force. You can jump. Amazing. Yep. I love it. Force Pull, I think, is very exciting. It's a cost of one force effectively you can choose a character in this unit an enemy character within three and you can pull the chosen enemy character two towards fourth sister very similar to maul's ability called there is no place Mm. to run but it's one force less and there's no exposed i think that's a fair trade-off and i really like this ability jesse i think this is one of the reasons people are sleeping on her this ability is amazing i think you and i've talked a lot off mic about you can just win the game sometimes with maul and Django. With their pulls, without even performing attacks. Yeah, it's great. It is great, but I do think that Inquisitorial Mandate kind of makes it a little redundant because she can just walk up to a point and steal it. Now, I agree to your point, and for reference, Inquisitorial Mandate is an innate ability when determining control of an active objective that a character in this unit is contesting. If there is a tie, you take control. So if it's just one-on-one yep. and they're the same elevation, and I'd like to clarify something from or from an episode, two episodes ago, when I was talking about Inquisitorial Mandate, the example that I was giving was just poorly yep. worded, but I would like to clarify that elevation is not a tiebreaker. The tiebreakers only come into a play when elevation and the number of units are matched, and that is when Inquisitorial Mandate would break the tie. Anyways, going back to Force Pull, I think the perfect scenario, Jesse, is if there's two characters on a point, you yank one off with force pull and then inquisitorial mandate helps you win that point. So I agree. I mean, it's pretty solid. It's also just a great ability on threatening primaries, right? Because you just get them out of position, right? Like this is a great tool to pull like a Vader, a Mace, an Obi-Wan, whatever it is, off a gantry onto the ground, right? And just force them come back next turn, slow them down, mess them up. 
So yeah, I just think it's it's just a great tool in your toolbox that you're always happy to pay one force for, I think. And in that particular example, if they're the only one contesting it and you can't get up there for whatever reason, if you pull them right. down, then you win the it's tie. pretty cool. Yeah. I like it's that. pretty good. Well, continuing on with this very cool character that I think a lot of people are underselling. She does have a reactive ability called Enfeeble. It's going to be our first instance of it, and we're going to cover it again in a second. This one gives pinned when a character in another allied Inquisitorious unit makes an attack as part of a combat action before the dice are rolled, Fourth Sister may use this ability. If the target character is within range of Fourth Sister, the target character gains pinned. Yeah, so it's their own version of Coordinated Fire, which I do like. Enfeeble. I also think it's better than Coordinated Fire because I think Coordinated Fire sometimes... The second you get clones wounded, coordinated fire just really starts hurting because you're paying for force. And I think it's just harder to wound the Inquisitors. Like You're going to do it a little bit later than clones, right? I've, I've often seen clones get wounded second pull of the game. You know, It's rare, but it, it happens. So yeah, I think the Enfeeble is just a little bit more consistent. I agree in the fact that like she should survive longer than a clone unit. I do want to make the important distinction that if she's wounded, this does cause yep. force. Same as coordinated fire does. Exactly. The last innate ability on her card is Swift Retreat. She's got a ton, but again, she's a single character support unit. So when this character is wounded by an enemy effect, after the effect is resolved, one character in this unit may reposition. This is a weird one. So I think this is one that I think requires practice because it's kind of like Maul invaders. They die, they get to do an attack, but hers is she just gets to move, right? And I guess hers is just a, it's just a nice tool to have to set up for the next struggle or something like that, right? Or to... Or yeah, a percent It's not bad. It's just, like we've been saying a lot of the episodes recently, it's situational. It's powerful situationally, but how often it's going to come up, time will tell. Yeah. At worst case scenario, you can try to maybe stick her into a point where it makes pushing or pulling yeah, difficult. Just a little bit of movement, like repositioning her quite literally, not much, but yeah, that, that works as well. So those are all of her abilities. Let's jump to her Form 2 Makashi stance. No ranged attack, six on range defense, five on melee defense, seven on melee attack. Expertise, inquisitorious training, one to two, one block, three plus two blocks. Spinning lightsaber, expertise, one to two, a crit and a damage, three plus, a crit, a strike, and a damage. What do we think about this expertise? It's kind of just like downgraded Reva expertise a little bit. Her innate defense dice are better than Reva's. It's kind of a weird inverse situation you know and i will get this out of the way while we are here Amon, because we'll come up with this in a second but her range defense being six i think is very cool especially for support and her melee defense being five is like that's you know one's higher one's lower fifth brother is the exact same numbers just switched yeah and that's why i think another reason why maybe people lean fifth brother is because melee heavy it's a melee heavy style of play but i think I think I agree with you that fourth sister is a bit more nuanced because she has the opportunity to be a little bit more of that, not necessarily ranged character, but more of that utility piece. Yeah. I think she's like the Ahsoka of this squad. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a decent yeah, way to She's put it. like, she's repositioning across the map. She's being really defensive against range attacks. So she's not really worried about range attacks as much as the other ones. Hopefully she's pulling people off gantries and stuff on the way. Yeah. I like force pull a lot. I think, that is very interesting because, again, we talked about that strategy with Force Pull Inquisitorial yep. Mandate. She can just auto-win points. It's very good. Let's talk about this lady's tree, Amon, because it's, once again, Form 2 Makashi. Yep. So we can start with a disarm and a damage or a shove and a damage, which, again, starting off with a shove and a damage it's is It's a awesome. theme with these characters. Yeah. Now, from there, you have four more spots. 
It's a pin and a damage, a shove and two damage, an active ability, and three damage. Now, this is really cool because now, just going through the tree as a whole, you're going to do seven damage, which isn't no. bad. Support. Pretty solid. character. Yeah, with two shoves and a pin or a disarm a pin and one shove. But the active ability part is really cool because what this allows you to do is you can get that jump that you need to get to the point where mm-hmm. you need to go. Or, you know, may, if you've positioned it right, if you're at the furthest edge of range two from one of your points, you should be able to target someone who is kind of like at the borders yep. of their contesting for another point and yank them off that point. And that could be a two-point swing in your favor. It's pretty good. Yeah, for right? sure. So I completely agree with you in terms of summarizing Fourth Sister. She is a very exciting miniature. Yeah. She can do a lot. And if she just, if there was a, another supporting unit that just came out with her raw stats and her abilities, people would love her. <laughs> it's true. But she just gets overshadowed a little bit by Fifth Brother. But I think we did a really good job <laughs> of summarizing some of the things that she can do uniquely. Yeah, because he's going to be a little bit inverse of her and they're, they're kind of different sides of a coin, right? And we can talk real quick about Fifth Brother and Lore before we close this episode out. Of course, he was a humanoid male Inquisitor. Part of the Inquisitorius, we once again don't know his species. But the man's a tank or a truck, like I said recently, and he is a fallen Jedi, which, you know, we see this a lot. Fifth Brother tells Cal Kestis he became an Inquisitor by choice because there's this, once again, a lot of content from comics and stuff, which is great. Fifth Brother really relishes this life as an Inquisitor. He's pretty intense, Amon. Like this guy really, this is what he was meant to do, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's just what he was meant to do, you know? His backstory is he was an individual that came to know his fifth brother. He was a force sensitive member and he was living in a family on the planet Artie Museum. And the Jedi Order promised a meaningful life, a spirituality of the force for him and his family. And fifth brother believes that the Jedi had lied and that this did not come to fruition for his family. Basically, he chose a path, he stuck to it. And then he also did not like how the Republic and the Jedi were intertwined, which, you know, we've, we've, brought up criticisms about that but it's more about how the way the republic handled his home planet what's interesting about working with vader and the empire he's one of the guys we see the most in this canon where he's just showing up on missions all over the place and like you mentioned seventh sister he works with her after the grand inquisitor passes away him and seventh sister take it on themselves to try to find canaan right stuff like that so he's very gung-ho what's interesting is and I'm sure you like this, Amon. I certainly do, but it's <laughs> Fifth Brother eventually meets his demise in Rebels against Maul. Maul aces a bunch of Inquisitors, a bunch, and Rebels. Maul really puts the perspective of their power level into yes, play. Yes, especially because Maul's not even, at this point, Maul's not even Sith anymore, at least in the Rebels thing. He's he's, he's actually he's like past retired. Yeah, he's retired. old. He's an old man. Yeah. He's like a hermit. Yeah, you're right. He's this... He's like Twilight Days yeah. of Maul, and he still absolutely wrecks these <laughs> fools. 100%. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they were force sensitives, weren't even fully fledged Jedi, right? And then they're kind of trained in a unique way, this blind obedience to the Empire and the Inquisitorius. And, you know, the Fifth Brother's a great fighter, but he can't keep up with Maul. Yeah, really interesting story about Fifth Brother. We see this a lot with people who kind of switch sides, right? Is that defectors, mm. is that they feel wronged by the Jedi somehow. And so it's very similar to Dooku and the Grand Inquisitor in that they feel like, why are we serving these corrupt politicians? And, you know, they told me I'd have a better life and I don't. And I really do think that he just kind of in Rebels is this antagonistic figure that just shows up, as you say, as like a mini boss Mm -hmm. on these missions. 
there's really no personality there. And what I really like about the Kenobi show is obviously Sun Kang yep. loved yep. the actor. He brought a great performance to Fifth Brother. Obviously, he looks a little different, but I didn't mind it. I thought it looked great for the humanoid version of it. And he kind of was like, he tried to keep Reva in place, but then at the same time, like was also like, she's my competition. Oh, yeah. And so when the Grand Inquisitor does go missing, he really does believe that he is the successor to the Grand Inquisitor oh, title. Yeah. And uh, I, I do feel like they did a disservice to his character. And obviously, Kenobi was made after Rebels, but you see this like hype mm-hmm. of him and how cool he could be. But then you know that he's just going to get aced by Maul at some it's point. It's true. Right? He's pretty intimidating in Rebels, though, for a while. But yeah, until that showdown, I mean, between Maul and Ahsoka, he has no chance. Because he, mm. he fights both of them at given times, right? And I mean, dude, there's a point in Rebels. I mean, Ahsoka just takes on multiple Inquisitors barely trying, right? Because she's ascended to a different level at this point, you know? And she's in her older age. And yeah, it's also where we get the iconic line, I am no Jedi from Ahsoka. Because the Inquisitors are like, let's take this Jedi down, you know? And not so much. Good stuff. Fifth Brother's a dude. He's a truck. He's a villain. And fun fact about him, Amon, that you can actually find on some of the behind the scenes websites and Wikipedia. He was based off of unused concept art for some Sith, I'm assuming, slash Kylo Oak related concept art for Force Awakens. And uh, that's kind of where his original design came from, which is very cool. This kind of pale looking figure with this weird helmet and face apparatus, you know, and, and a cloak, you know, and that's probably one of the many iterations of things they're working on for The Force Awakens that they did not use. Very cool. Yeah. Another fun fact about the fifth brother is that he actually was one of the weaker members of the Inquisitorius in terms of lightsabers. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. But he was actually one of the most powerful in terms of his command of the Force. We're about to cover that. Good segue, Iman. Good segue. Yeah. <laughs> so. Fifth Brother, of course, is a four-cost unit. What do you know? He has nine stamina, a little bit higher, and two durability, and his tags are Force User, Galactic Empire, Inquisitorious. Again, once more with feeling, but I think nine stamina on a support like this, Amon, is pretty awesome. Yeah, it lends further credence to the statement you made earlier in which these are almost like secondary, secondary characters. For sure. He absolutely is. Now, we know he has Force Jump because we've mentioned a couple of times now, and it kind of keeps him in the same level mm. when it comes to fourth sister. But where she has the force pull, he has probably one of the coolest abilities just to visualize, right. you know, in the theater of the mind, as That's you like right. to say, forced repulse. Costs two force, and I'll tell you why it costs two force. Every single character within range two of fifth brother is pushed range two away It's from awesome. Him. I think it's probably one of the best active abilities in this game. It is. Keep in mind, they are pushed, so they do have to slide along the tool till they bump into something, right? Yeah, but keep in mind, you can control yep, the push. For sure. Keep in mind, this also pushes friendly yes, characters. Does. But I've definitely had a situation where I've walked Fifth Brother into like a group of four droid units. I had just enough room to fit in wow. between, and I forced repulse. so cool. And pushed everybody away, and it was awesome. Just the visual alone is worth it. It's super cool. And... I think this is partially why a lot of people are like, fifth fifth brother? Oh, he's amazing. He's better than fourth sister. I also think it's also because his enfeeble gives exposed. Yeah. So once again, enfeeble, reactive. When a character in another allied inquisitorious makes an attack as part of combat action, four dice are rolled. Fifth brother may target the same target within range four of himself and give them expose. 
And this is really juicy and another reason why you want to take Fifth Brother a lot and why he possibly overshadows Fourth Sister is because Expose is so strong. Yeah. You're playing a synergy where you're trying to kill people in melee combat. And what helps you take out people, especially Force users? It's Expose every time. Every yeah, time. it's so good. But Ben's no slouch either. I mean, Fourth Sister having that, a lot of Force users don't like that either. So I'm liking all these Inquisitor and Feebles. Honestly, I'd like to see another Inquisitor with a different type. Just keep it going. I would love that. And we're going to talk about some of the wishlist things okay. a little bit. But I completely agree with you that I think Fourth Sister is good. And I know you're repping her and I know you're defending her. And you're doing the right thing because she is a great yeah, unit. Yeah, Fifth Brother's just maybe one of the best units in the game at the moment. Exactly. That's all, That's it, all is. it is. Yeah. Right. If you remove him from the equation, if it wasn't in this box, I still think we'd be very happy with Fourth Sister. Well, let's close out his card. Before we talk about his tree, he has two innate abilities. The first is Resolve. This is another reason why he's kind of insane. While a character in this unit is contesting one or more active objectives, it has protection and steadfast. And of course, he has the Inquisitorial Mandate we've been talking about. Determining control of an active objective that this character is contesting. If there's a tie, Fifth Brother wins the tie and you control the objective. So protection steadfast make him next level scary insane and he has one more stamina than fourth sister yeah so the protection really starts showing up it is very very potent i think you could have not given him protection and he's still an amazing character yeah absolutely now we go to his tree this is interesting because you kind of see he can still do seven damage like fourth sister but the way he goes about is a little different so as you said he's better melee defenses which i think is ironic given the fact that his lightsaber skills are the weakest Five and six, respectively, range in melee on defense. Seven melee attack dice. Same as Inquisitorious. Sister. Yeah, same as sister. Same as sister. Yeah, you, like, as you mentioned earlier, the defenses are inverted. And the expertise is also famous. Yeah, they both do seven damage. So it, their trees actually are the same grouping of things, just different conditions. Yeah, that's really all it is. So he also has two different starting points, and then you're forced down the same funnel. You can either start with an expose or a damage or a shove and a damage, which again, I love starting with these shoves. It's great. They all do that. And then strain damage, shove two damage, free active ability. So force jump or force repulse and then culminating in three damage. Yeah, man, it's good. His tree is fine. Like the free repulse is the coolest part. I think you're taking him for his card, right? That's the biggest thing. So, well, man, we get to the spice part of this episode. How do we play this box as a whole and what's some ways we're going to try this box? Yeah. So as someone who has really been trying to figure out how to make this yep. work, I really think that the best way to play the Inquisitorious strategy, and you mentioned this earlier, Jesse, is to take Vader yep. with you because the Grand Inquisitor isn't really giving you much. Again, we talked about some of the matchup pitfalls that he can experience, especially maybe in an event over multiple rounds, but it's also just not that great in the ability anyways, right? Like recovering two, fine. Refreshing two force. Okay, that's cool. And you have a lot of ways to spend the force, but like, I don't know why I would take the Inquisitor because of that, but he has eight strike points, which is why he's so useful because you can take Reva and fourth sister or fifth brother. Now, Vader is really nice because he has the Inquisitorious tag, which is helpful. I don't know if it really has any synergy in terms of what anybody can do because it specifically states on the Grand Inquisitor's card that you have to move a secondary or supporting Inquisitorious He character. just gets the, the Grand Inquisitor's identity of the recovery. Exactly. That's really all it is. And I don't know if that really matters too much either because, I mean, Vader's identity is a hatred makes you powerful. You take two damage. Maybe you, you ace something. You take yeah, the damage off. Nice. 
that's fine. It's chill. What Vader really does, though, is he takes their already aggressive attacks and takes it to another level. Because now, if you look at Makashi for the Grand Inquisitor, you're rolling 10 dice. On Mm -hmm. Gemso, you're rolling 9 dice. Third sister, 10 dice. Fourth sister, fifth brother, 10 dice. Starts getting really nasty, right? And that's probably why Emperor Kevin is doing so many wounds is because he's throwing so much dice. And there's a lot of ways to expose the opponent. So I do think that Vader is a necessity just because he really unlocks their potential. And I think what's really helped is Commander Pons. Yeah. So we're not going to get too deep into Commander Pons as a whole. But the important thing to remember is that he is a secondary three-point cost. Only one in the game as of right now. Only one in the game. Vader is seven. So you can now take fourth sister and fifth brother and Reva and Vader and Grand Inquisitor. And if you really want, you can paint Pons up as like a purge trooper or something to make it look like it all works out really well. And it works, man. And it looks cool. And he's no slouch either. We'll talk about him eventually in the This Party's Over pack. But I think that's probably the best way that you can unlock the Inquisitorious yeah. strategy. You can also play it with yeah. Maul. That works too. You're not getting that extra dice every attack if you really want to. But it's a double-edged you know, saber again because you're taking damage and you only have one character rather than you know two characters. But I do regardless. like the Maul like, gives them more freedom to always jump or always force pull or always repulse, right? Like that, That's really exactly. nice. That's the strength of Maul is that he kind of says, okay, well, if you're not playing against a force user or if you just your dice aren't rolling your way, it no. doesn't matter because you still have the force to do yeah, what you need to I like do. It. And he brings some additional control as well because I think all these guys, I mean, fifth brother and fourth sister especially, they, they have do. control. It's awesome. They win points. They can move people off points. Vader and third sister and Grand Inquisitor are like murder bots. Maul's a murder bot with control. They're all super mobile. Vader can advance twice. You know, they have the dashes. I like it, man. I mean, it works. It's just a very particularly unique play style in that you're just running up the board. You're playing that attrition style. You're relying on dice a little bit. And it is a little predictable. Yeah, very true on the dice element and the predictability. But also, I do like that the list has some pivots in the way of like defensive expertise. And the Grand Inquisitor and Reva in particular, I think we we touched on this a lot in the episode, they don't have as much control. That's a weakness, but they can also 1v1 people really well, and they've got really cool amounts of pushes and stuff like that. So like they can just like they can be solo somewhere, right? In theory, and take on two supports or take on one secondary, right? Or one other primary, right? So I think that's the goal with those characters. I have learned that in my games I've been testing against the Grand Inquisitor and stuff. If the Grand Inquisitor is not dug in, he's kind of like Duke, where it's like if Dooku is not like deep in the fight or the Grand Inquisitor is not deep in the fight, like you're not getting as much value out of him, right? You want him to be in there with those awesome defensive expertise. You want him to be dueling with people, being a problem. So that's also crucial to the list to work as well. I agree. And I think the benefit of that is I, I do think he does have a little bit of control with secrets yeah, uncovered. It's just different. It's a different kind of control. It's not as, you know what it is? It's not as obvious. It's like slowing the game down more than control in the sense of like, it, it's control in a way. I mean, you're you're hindering your opponent and benefiting yourself, right? But Well, it gives you more time to do what you want to yeah, do, which is sure. murder them, right? So I, I do like that. I mean, I think it's a really cool design team because it makes you think, right? Like it's not and it's, obviously apparent as to what you're supposed yeah, to be doing. And it's not all murder either. That's the cool part about it where it's like, like you said, they've got shenanigans. They've got jumps abound. They've got repositioning. They've got this sort of sticky quality to them, right? On top of the murdering. And it's not just like aggro. It's, it's a lot of like 
these solos, you know, these are all solos essentially, right? These are all characters that can hopefully win their point on their side of the board. And whether that's through attrition or it's through control, whether it's through its pushes, they're going to find a way to do it, hopefully. Yeah. And I think also Vader opens up some opportunities for you and how you want to play the list again. Like we talked about this earlier, you can take, ideally what you would do is you probably take mm-hmm. Inquisitor, third sister, fifth brother. Sure. And then with Vader, you're either going to go, you know, Rex Arf Troopers, yeah. Pawn's fourth sister, or in my opinion, you could easily go Django Arf Troopers, and that's a solid list as well. Oh, yeah. Right? I also think, I think I've mentioned on the show, mainly on the bonus feed stuff, but I mean, Vader Magna Guards is no slouch either. It's just more bodies of these people that can 1v1 on points, but you're really leaning into the I have only melee characters that sit on points theme, you know, which could be helpful or hurtful to you, you know. But uh, the Magnas also bring cover for this all melee team, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, Vader definitely needs yep. the cover, which I appreciate. Yeah, and I just think the Magnas are like, it's kind of like two more, they're just weaker versions of like fourth and fifth, right? They're just two more like sticky melee models that push you off points and can crit out and push you away with a bunch of crits and stuff. So I think it's interesting as well. There's, I think people are trying to crack this list right now and people are starting to figure it out, but there's a lot of options, especially with pawns arriving. Yeah, especially with pawns arriving. And I do think you're right in that the Magna Guard can protect Vader, Grand Inquisitor, or Reva fairly reliably. Yeah, it might help out Reva a lot. Yeah, it's really interesting because you can kind of build probably the way you'd want to go is a Republic Inquisitorious list, which I know is not thematic. Sure. Yeah. You could also maybe do Separatist Inquisitorious. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, it works. I also think something you can do is you can get really cheeky and obviously, once again, not thematic, but. I think there's room in this list to slot in and either the Vader side or the Grand Inquisitor side. It'd have to be the Vader side, honestly, but slot in Kenobi too and bring some direct control with Mind Trick and also run, right? Just give yourself more options and more of that, this play style, which is just like getting models dug in on points and melee, you know? And Kenobi's really good at that as well. So I do like that. I do think if you take Kenobi, which again, you're right. Good melee character, good control. You want to take the Arf clone sure. troopers and fifth brother because then you have the ability to expose on every attack pretty it's much. Pretty good, right? And then Kenobi could also, that Seresu that he has in particular is so healing centric. Like he can really keep them up with some healing as well when he's performing his attacks. And just like the fifth brother and fourth sister, he's doing seven damage. Yeah, it's pretty nice, right? And you can yeah. just save your force for a crucial mind trick, right? That might just win you the game. Yeah, using Vader's identity with him is a little interesting because he's only eight, but he does have the ability to heal more than others, right? And he gets that Yeah, and run. with Last Stand of the Jedi, too, he just gets better because the more wound tokens he has on him, like he rolls more dice offensively and defensively. So you get more interesting decisions then if you want to use the Vader identity, right? Yeah, it's super interesting. So again, you want to play this list. It's like a pack of wolves. They're going to... Yep. move quick they have tricks up their sleeve when they gang up on you they can solo you because they're a bunch of alphas well and if they get too close they'll rip your throat out you know who we are third sister <laughs> yep we're so mean to third sister well man that's it another episode in the bag another big episode because we man this time we had four characters in lore four characters in strategy so i'm excited we got through it and we should tell everyone where they can find us yes so hello there is supported by our patrons you can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash hello there cast. You can also find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at hello there cast. You can also email us at hello there cast at 
gmail.com and you can leave us reviews on your podcatcher of choice obviously spotify and apple pod are the more popular ones we would really appreciate you leaving us some reviews on those yes. platforms specifically spotify and apple Podcasts, because it really just helps spread awareness yep of the game of star wars 100 and if you can ever if you can't support us on patreon you know this is a good way to support us also follow us on your podcast platform of choice it really it really means a lot to us of course, we got to give a thank you to Lowfeel for our show's music. And of course, you can find Amon and I several places online. You can find me, Jesse, everyone online, Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, and Discord, all at the same place, at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my Marvel Christ Protocol show, Fury's Finest, about everything Marvel Christ Protocol and the Marvel Universe and Marvel Canon at Fury's Finest. Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me, Amon, on Twitter at Games. And on Longshanks, it is just Amon Kusro. I do a podcast about Warhammer Underworlds called Path of Glory, where we talk about competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. And as a member of the Inquisitorius, I hunt other Amons. Oh, yes. It depends on the week, you know. One week it's braids, one week it's what? One week yep. it's lightsabers, hilts. Another Jedi week robes. it's just... You know, you've got a whole collection of... Just trying to gain favor, curry some favor That's with right. Vader, baby. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's been it fun could. to return to Dark Side again. We've done two Dark Side episodes in a while, in a row, Amon. So it looks like we have some light side stuff on the horizon, I think. Maybe. I mean, what's on the horizon? We Party's have Mace over. Windu. Party's over. We have Amidala, Cad Bane. We have the Dath box oh mother talzin maybe we'll do three dark mother talzin's very exciting you, you could convince me with that potentially but we'll see we've also got some other discussions that aren't box episodes coming out very soon so stay tuned we really appreciate you guys listening may the force be with you there are some things far more frightening than death that sister <laughs>